Well, I don't have a, a real formal talk tonight. I um, I uh, I have this. The title for what I want to talk about is "We Really Are Human." Sometimes we have to be reminded of that. I sometimes I have to be reminded of that. Uh, and um, I, I was thinking about this, and so I just start briefly with the story of the Buddha's the Buddha portion of the Buddha's life. I'm sure you all know this piece where he, he was uh, he was born into uh, a well-off family, whatever that meant in that area. Uh, the son of a tribal lord, or he's often called a prince. Um, but his father, the story goes, his father tried to protect him from the ugliness of life because he thought, um, he was told by a wise man when Siddhartha was born that he would either be a sage or a great warrior, a great leader. And his father, of course, wanted him to be, not of course, his father wanted him to be a great leader. And so he thought by protecting him and making everything pleasant for him, he'd walk in that direction. But you know, um, the Buddha felt uh, at some point in his life there was something missing. And I think it's it's if you feast on all of one thing, you don't have anything to go by to, to judge it or compare it to. So even if you eat your favorite food, you can't eat your favorite food 24-7. There's got to be, you know, sugar, sugar, sugar. At some point you want salt, salt, salt. So the Buddha felt there was something missing, or Siddhartha, he wasn't awakened yet, so he wasn't called the Buddha yet. Felt there was something missing, so he went out with his uh, one of his attendants roaming the streets unannounced because they would always clean up. It's like when the Olympics come to town, they clean everything up so people don't see the, uh, the real side of life in the city, wherever it is. And so he went out with his attendants, and in, in succession he saw... Uh, a sick person, an old person, a corpse, and then a, a wise person, a wise man. And he had never seen any of these before. Somehow, some way, they hid him from um, sickness, old age, and death, which if you think about, just if you think about India today, I mean, there's always, well, in any environment, there's always sickness and old age. But um, in India... And it's so apparent right now with the horrific um, um, COVID uh, rate there and the bodies that are just being burned constantly, the corpses, it's in your face, this mortality. But he had not seen it. And he asked his attendant and he's like, me too. And his attendant said, everybody, everybody experiences this. Um, if you if you live, you experience old age. Not everyone experiences old age. Not everyone experiences sickness. Um, some people have accidents and they die young, but everyone dies. Everyone experiences death. That's a that's a common point for every being on this planet and perhaps other planets. I don't know. I can't speak to that. But every being on this planet experiences death. And uh, the Buddha reflected on how much suffering there is around this. And he said, I'm going to go out and see. I'm going to I'm going to take the robes because he saw the wise man and said, that person's going to be able to teach me how to find the end of suffering. And long story, he finally be, he sat and he became awakened. And he 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 his teachings were, yeah, there's suffering. There is sickness. There is old age. There is death. But 
that's the that's the pain of being a human being but there's this extra level of suffering that we create for ourselves by holding on to things and chasing chasing the pleasant and trying to get away from the unpleasant like his father did his father tried to shield him from the unpleasant and that is unsatisfactory as well because we can get all the get all the outside goodies but this internal there's no internal um ease and so this is a this is a uh, 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 a practice of letting go of that outside fix and moving into an ease with the reality of being a human being. Because because humanity is messy. I was having this conversation with a friend today. It's messy being a human being. And, and so many, so many places, so many religions, so many types of things have all these rules and rituals and strictures saying if, you know, trying to get rid of the messiness. It's like you follow these rules and it won't be messy. Trying to push away fear, trying to push away discomfort. And, you know, the reality is it's uncomfortable sometimes. It's uncomfortable. But the difference is how we how we hold that discomfort, how we hold that reality. And I was I just did a retreat a couple of weeks ago with Bhikkhu and Alio, And it was on um, it was on the Satipatthana Sutta. And we spent a day reflecting on our bodies. And the Buddhist teach the Satipatthana Sutta is the teaching on mindfulness meditation. And there are four foundations. And the first foundation is breath and body. And we spent a day reflecting that we are flesh and skin and bones. That's what we are. That's what we are. Some of you have heard me talk about the experience of the retreat. That's what we are. But somehow, and then then there's the, the second day we spent uh, reflecting on that we're just part, we're elements. Like everything else is an element. We are earth element and fire element and water element and air element. We are elements just as everything else is. And what did he say um, in here about the elements? Oh, it's in front of me. It's not over there. Uh, I'm looking for the page number on the wrong page. The body is just, hello, the body is just part of nature. It is made up of these four elements, just like the rest of nature outside. The body does not really belong to us. It belongs to nature. It has been borrowed from nature and it will eventually return to nature when the four elements fall apart at the time of death. So there's this real invitation to reflect on our mortality and on the, the, of the body. It's like, this isn't me. This isn't me. This is just kind of the container that, that um, carries me. But we have such, a, such an attachment, such an attachment to this, thinking that this is who I am. Um, and especially in this society, what we look like, um, our skin color, our facial features, our language, it's so tied up in the body, so tied up in the body. It's, we're trapped by these, these ideals. As Sonia Renee Taylor, who wrote The Body is Not an Apology, calls it the default body, which none of us are because it's kind of like impossible. Uh, we don't make the rules, so we'll never get there. Um, 
So recognizing that this is this is the this is this is part of our existence, this the elements, just like everything else. And then the third day on the retreat, we reflected on death, breathing in. This may be my last breath, and then breathing out. Oh, not yet. Breathing in. This might be it. Breathing out. Not not so much. We still have another day. Um, and you know the the teaching is that if we really uh, embrace this idea of death, having learned to face death with equipoise, with balance, nourishes an inner peace that remains unshaken by the vicissitudes of life. Having this awareness of our place in the universe and our mortality is actually quite liberating. It's incredibly liberating and freeing. Um, big picture, we might hiccup and bump into walls and things, but if we can internalize that to our core, there's a freedom there because we don't have to fight it. You know, and I always think about this society we live in that teaches us that, you know, if you get old and you get sick and you die, it's probably your fault because you didn't do something right and you didn't buy the right product and you didn't take the right pills and you didn't get on the right, you know, um, health regimen. And I've, I've, I've had people say, you know, there was this one woman a few years ago I knew in a class I facilitate who, who was in her 70s and she had gotten breast cancer. And she's like, what did I do wrong? And I being, I was in still having wise-ass responses. I said, you missed that one workout in 1978. <sighs> I did. I was terrible. But that's how she was talking. She was saying, I did this, 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 and I still got cancer. And it's like, yeah, that's that attachment to rites and rituals. You know, they talk about that in the, in the suttas, the, the, the fetters that we have that we create to attach to when we move into stream entry. Um, the attachment to rites and rituals will dissipate. Oftentimes it's considered religious rites and rituals, but we have cultural rites and rituals that we have, in, we have internalized in our society that we think will be uh, a, a guarantee you know, I was talking to a friend this morning who says her knees are her, her knees are just kind of given out. And she said, I did all that. She played a lot of sports when she was younger. And she said, I thought that was going to save me from this. And then come to find out that some sports kind of aggravate that stuff. You know, I look at look at professional athletes, football players, basketball players at all. They're just like it's it's hell on your body. So having this idea of if I do this, then is 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 a trap. But we get caught in that hamster wheel in that trap. And so there's all kinds of ways to reflect on this. And I had I, last week. Ruth, you're in this, the class that we just started, the year to live practice. And a couple of other, a couple of you have been through it already. Um, spending a year really getting in touch with this mortality and the reality of our lives. And, and that our death is, is gonna, it's a guinea, it's a guinea. And the other thing that um, brought this up for me this week is that I went up, I was in Portland, Portland adjacent, a suburb of Portland, for a few days this week with my brother. It's my first trip since COVID, and that was my last trip before COVID. I was up there with him. 
was teaching in Portland and I got to stay with him. But he, I went up there because his wife went down to Mexico to scope out a, an assisted living place. And because they are at a point in their lives where they cannot take care of themselves anymore. And it was affordable down there. So she went down there and I went to stay with my brother who will be 79 soon and who has Parkinson's and who's really um, degenerating uh, physically and mentally he's starting to go. And so I was sitting there watching this and watching his equilibrium with it, his equipoise, as Bhikkhu Analio says, his, 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 this is, this is the way it is. It, absolute total acceptance of it it's like can we just do one of these shrugs and 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 keenly aware that he was the mind the cognitive um abilities were and he's a nuclear physicist engineer he went to west point he went to mit he got a fellowship to mit he's like a brainiac and um he's he's totally aware of this this the cognitive um dissolution and his wife who went to mexico by herself bravely has ms and she 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 we talked to her on the phone yesterday she went to san jose um california to visit her mom who's 95 um and I talked to her on the phone yesterday morning, and she was in really bad shape because it, it knocked her for a loop, this trip with MS. And then she saw her mom for the first time in a year, her mom who's 95, and she goes, she, her mom all of a sudden got old. I mean, you, you imagine, but she all of a sudden got old. She had been like spry until, I mean, she's working up till like a year ago. And um, she says, we're a family of people who can't take care of ourselves. You know, her mom can't, her brother can't, she can't, her husband, my brother can't. And so just to have, be sitting and surrounded by this, this, this lesson in impermanence and the dis disintegration of the body and the mind and just having this, and, and she's pretty, pretty okay and <laughs> okay with it. And my brother's ex-wife. Um, who lives in San Jose, she's she's also, she's like in her early 80s, and she's got the bucket, of, she's got the kick the bucket binder. You know, she's all ready to go, too. I mean, these are folks who are like, okay, it's going to happen. There's still a little attachment. There's still a little clinging, but it's extraordinary because I've also been with people who have fought it hook, line, and sinker, who have said, give me another treatment. Give me more medicine. Give me that. Fix me, fix me, fix me, fix me. And, it's, and and that is such a, a sad, hard place to be because you are in, a, I believe, probably there's a level of denial there that has to be present. There's a level of delusion that's necessary. When the doctor says you have cancer and there's nothing else we can do, just go and enjoy the time you have left. And the person says, this was my mother-in-law who said, no. I want more. Give me radiation. That'll take care of it. I mean, that level of denial is so sad. So that she couldn't fully be with her family in this time of recognition of the reality of passing. It reminds me of the story of Ram Dask and his grandmother when she was passing away. And that was the time when the doctors wouldn't tell you you were terminal. 
It's like, yeah, yeah, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. And meanwhile, she's like, eh. So Ram Dass went in and said, I know you're dying. And she said, thank God, because I do too. So she was able to be with someone in, in connection with the reality of, oh, this is, this is, this is part of the fabric of life. Death is, it's not over there. It's not in, it's not in the other, you know, zoom box where you can't see my hand move over there. It's still here. And how do we connect? How do we really embody this teaching of impermanence? I mean, the, the level of denial and delusion in the mind is extraordinary. I think it's built into the brain. It's part of our survival mechanism. Um, because I even see I even see my own head going, I got this. I'm, I'm doing really well. La, 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 la. But um, having to admit my mortality, too. It's like, yeah, I, it's, I might get hit by a truck. That's my go-to. So, um just how do you hold that idea? How do you reconcile? And if it's a struggle or if you feel certain experiences coming up as you listen to this, like pay attention. Is there a, uh, is there a, I kind of think everybody in this room has, uh, has already been reflecting on this. I, I, I know you've all been practicing for a bit and this is part, you're aware that this is just part of, of how we move through the world is this it's death is part of the fabric of of life it's and when we um when we really tune into it there's such a, a richness that we can have because we are able to one more time find a connection with every other being all beings are going to pass you know, and the other thing is, as I was leaving, I was really surprised to how um, how emotional I was when I left my brother when I drove off to the airport yesterday. And, like, I might not see him again. And his little dog, Molly, who's so cute. And I'm like, I might never see Molly again. It's like, oh. And I was, like, really emotional, really emotional. Still, still a little emotional for me. So, but it's... We, you know, we talk about it. So we're not missing out. We're not putting it in a closet and pretending. There's so much richness there when you can do that. There's so much connection there. Then this false front, this, this, this mask that so often our, our society teaches us we have to put on. It's, it's, it's nonsense. It's, it's denial of reality, and, and reality always wins. So make peace, make friends with reality, make friends with impermanence. Watch the attachment. Watch where you are attached. Where are you stuck around this? Where, and that's where, that's where you bring your attention. That's where you, you bring your, um, that's where the work is. You know, where, where's the, uh, I don't want to look at this. That's where you bring your attention. That's where you look. There's the challenge in the gut. That's the practice. So those are my thoughts on um, we really are human. So I'm happy to, um, I'd love to hear how this lands for you. And um, what it brings up and 
whether you think you're really going to die or not. Because I might be wrong. You might not die. You might be the one. There is a question about what the Buddha might have said about suicidal thoughts and being caught in addiction. I couldn't tell you what the Buddha would say, but I can tell you what my experience and what um, some of the teachings point to. In the teaching of, of the Four Noble Truths about, you know, uh, there is suffering and the uh, cause of our suffering is craving. And then there's craving for sensual pleasure, craving for existence, and craving for non-existence. So that always resonated, that non-existence always resonated with me as that get me the hell out of here and ha speaking from as a person in recovery um addiction and get me the hell out of here was i don't want to feel this stuff and i didn't know it at the time i saw it in hindsight it would just the world just was so overwhelming that i the i only saw one way out which was out. Um, and so it's, it's a craving to not feel. It's a craving to not be with. And so when I, when I got into recovery and then when I got into, I got into recovery and then I got into this practice and this practice and therapy, but this practice of mindfulness gave me tools to be present with the stuff I used to run away from and taught me how to feel it because and be with it in a, in a non-threatening way, how to recognize, oh, that's that. And my reaction is to head down this road. Instead, I'm going to be here and maybe move in that direction instead. So it's, it's just this, this get me the hell out of here. I can't be with. And the invitation instead is to be with, and not with everything all at once. Sometimes it's just baby steps. Just can you, can you just be with this a little bit and then back off and then a little bit and then back off. And sometimes you just, you know, sometimes you just hang out with the mind, the concentration practice, breathing in, breathing out, breathing in, breathing out. That just calms the body. And, and you find, you start recognizing those patterns. Um, it's like, oh, I recognize that, but I don't have to buy that story anymore. You know, those stories that we make up that are part of our mental arsenal. I am this. I am inadequate. I am always on the outside. I'll never, I'll never blah, 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 whatever. And we all have our own. Um, I'm unlovable, blah, blah, blah. Recognizing that, what your stories are, and then saying, instead of going, it's true, I am, you go, oh, here comes that story again. So you're able to take a step back. You're not in it, living it, fighting it. You're just saying, here it comes. I know what that feels like, and I know it's not true. How can I be with it? So that, that's, 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 that's what the teachings have offered me um, as around that particular get me the hell out of here. Um, experience. Yeah, thank you.
Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.